I'm Callie Lewis from GeekBeat.TV. You're listening to the Audacity to Podcast. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 117, how to add or change your podcast cover art. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is an award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting and using Audacity. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. And recently, if you already have a podcast in the iTunes directory, you probably received an email from iTunes that was for podcast producers, and it would have been sent to the email address that you have inside of your RSS feed. So little tip for you, go check, make sure that whatever RSS feed you have powering your podcast has your correct email address in it so that you can get these announcements. But the email is really nothing new in it. There's one tiny thing about the email that is new that they haven't mentioned before, but the main thing that most people are talking about is, oh no, there's this new cover art requirement, and in fact, in the email, it even is under the subheading, new cover art requirement. But here's the thing. Let's put both the word new and requirement in air quotes, because it's not new, and it's also not exactly as much of a requirement as you may have thought it is. Here's what the actual email says. iTunes has been completely redesigned and there are no, and there are new requirements for podcast cover art to be eligible for featuring on iTunes store. A podcast must have a 1400 by 1400 pixel cover art in JPEG or that's JPG or PNG format using RGB color space. The image URL must end in .jpg or .jpeg or .png, and the server hosting the image must allow HTTP head requests. See our technical spec for details. There's more in the email too, and I'll get to that in a moment. But really, this is not new at all. And I blogged about this the day that this came out. They sent this email on March 6th, so about a week ago at the time of this recording. And this really isn't new. As I blogged about it on my website over at theaudacitypodcast.com, and I'll have a link to this in the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117, which by the way, go there and you'll also see a video about how to do some of the things I'm going to describe for you. Uh, what to do to change some things. But in my blog post, I pointed out that this is almost the exact same message. Well, it is the exact same message that they emailed on February 22nd of this year, 2013. And it's very similar information to what they mentioned in their email dated on May 18th, 2012, the subject line for that email was metadata best practices. And also they sent an email dated March 28th, 2012, with much of the same information in it too. So this is not new at all. The only part that's actually new is the HTTP head requirements. That's the part that's new of this email. But the 14 by 100 by 1400 cover art has been a recommendation from iTunes since May 18th, 2012, when they first announced that update. 
there was that odd little thing going on where they updated the spec to say 1200 by 1200 and then they upped it to 1400 by 1400 only a couple weeks later odd little change and it never made sense to me the 1400 by 1400 image but i'll explain more about that in a moment now the main the most important part of this for you to understand is this isn't a requirement. They're not saying you can't be in iTunes unless you have 1400 by 1400 cover art. They're also not saying they will they will remove you from iTunes if you don't have 1400 by 1400 cover art. They're saying they won't feature you if you have smaller cover art. By featuring, that means in the new and noteworthy section, in the staff picks, in the top 10, in any kind of top list, a featured list like that what's hot, anything like that. You you will not be eligible to be in that list if your cover art is any smaller than 1400 by 1400. You can still be in iTunes, just aren't eligible to be featured. Now, some of the podcasts that have made it into new and noteworthy, yeah, they've been either missing cover art or they've had smaller size cover art. But the fact that Apple keeps reminding us about this, this is the third time in a year that they've emailed reminding us of the 1400 by 1400 quote requirement, unquote. I think they're going to actually start implementing this requirement and saying we won't feature you unless you have this size cover image even though some podcasts have somehow slipped by that requirement recently but make sure if you especially if you're launching a new podcast make sure that your cover art is this size and i'll tell you more about how to resize or adjust your cover art and uh, where this cover art needs to go in a moment now the other part of this the part that's new is this http heads request or head request part and this is a very technical thing but do know that if you host your media and your podcast cover art with libsyn or blueberry they do support http head requests in fact they've supported that from the beginning a whole lot of web hosts do support this but surprisingly some web hosts don't support this so if you're hosting your podcast cover art on your website server, then you need to check whether it supports HTTP head requests. Now, the best way to check on this would be really to email the host, send them this message, and ask them, do you support HTTP head requests? And they can confirm or deny whether they do. But a way that I think this is the way that would work for you to be able to check it yourself is if you go to web-sniffer.net, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode, Go there, switch the request type to head, and then paste the URL to your podcast cover art file that's somewhere uploaded already to the internet. Paste it into the field and then check it. If it does return a result when you've told it that you want the request type to be head, if it works, then most likely whatever server is hosting that file supports HTTP head requests. If it gives you an error or says request not supported or something like that, I I could not come up with a URL that would not work on this test as I kept doing this. But if it comes up with something other than information results, some kind of error message, then most likely your host does not support HTTP head requests. Now, what you can do is if you use Libsyn or Blueberry to host your media, you could also use them to host your cover art. Just upload your image to them and you'll be able to host your cover art that way. In fact, you can sometimes get some interesting statistics 
of how many times your cover art is loaded because of how their servers work. But I'll mention more about how you can change your cover art as we go along further in this episode. And I'll also have a video describing how to change your cover art over in the show notes and with all of the links at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117. Also in this email was another thing that sounds extremely technical, server configuration requirement. The email said, podcast streaming playback on iTunes requires all hosting servers to enable byte range requests. Please please confirm your hosting servers have this functionality enabled. If you work with a third-party hosting service, please contact them to confirm this functionality is enabled on their servers. Now, again, this is not new. Apple announced this a long time ago, March of 2012, so almost a year ago at the time of this recording, And now it makes sense why they were talking about this. Byte range requests sound really technical, and I didn't even quite understand it the first time I checked into it. But by the way, I can confirm, and ever since the beginning, Libsyn and Blueberry and even archive.org support byte range requests and have, I know Libsyn and Blueberry have since the beginning of their existence, and archive.org, I don't know how frequently they've supported that or even how consistently they support that. So don't necessarily rely on archive.org. But byte range requests are a way that allows a program. So let's say iTunes or the podcast app on a phone can go and request just a specific range of data of your podcast episode. It's a range of bytes. Bytes are what make up your um, your file, kilobytes, megabytes, that kind of thing, bytes. So it's able to s- request a specific range of bytes instead of having to download the whole thing. You may have taken advantage of byte range requests as a podcast consumer. Have you? Do you use an iOS device that has the podcast app on it? And have you listened to a podcast app or a podcast file without downloading it? Then if you have then you've taken advantage as a consumer of the byte range request feature. Practically, this is what it means. If I am not subscribed to your podcast and I have not downloaded your file, but I go to your listing in the podcast app catalog or any any app that supports this kind of playback, I go to that listing and then I press play on your episode. It starts playing your episode right away because it started downloading the bytes starting with zero, and then we'll say zero through a hundred, that first part of your podcast. Now, the numbers would be much larger, but we'll just simplify this. We'll say it starts downloading zero through a hundred and allows me to play and start listening to your podcast episode without even having to download the whole thing first. Now, I decide, okay, they've got a long intro here, or they said that they're going to cover this topic 10 minutes in. So before the podcast file even finishes downloading, I jump in 10 minutes into the podcast and then let it keep playing. So now what the the program has to do is it needs to then jump from downloading 0 to 100 bytes to now downloading 300 to 400 bytes, that range of bytes, because that's where the 10 minute mark is. And these numbers are not at all accurate, but I'm just using them for example. So what it's doing is it's saying download or start downloading at this chunk of 
the information, this specific range of all of the bytes available, I'm requesting this range of information. Start downloading it so I can play from this point right here. That's how the podcast app works from Apple and also many other podcast applications for iOS and Android and even desktop apps support the same type of thing where you can start listening without downloading and you do it by jumping in the middle and it requests a specific range of bytes. So if a server does not support byte range requests, then that means that in order to jump to 10 minutes in the episode, then you have to have downloaded the first 10 minutes of the episode before you can jump to that point. Think about YouTube as well. Do you ever skip around in a video on YouTube? Now, YouTube, you see it with its light gray bar slowly filling up while you're playing. That's what it's buffering or downloading in the background. But you can still jump to where that light gray bar is not uh, downloaded yet. And you can start playing from there because YouTube has the same kind of functionality. It's a method of streaming. It's not quite live streaming, which is giving you the information exactly or right at the moment or shortly delayed after it's produced. But it's streaming the information to you as fast as it can and somewhat ahead of time. This is also very important if you're using the streaming functionality on a mobile device and you're not on a Wi-Fi connection, but you're moving around and therefore your phone is switching cell towers, switching locations, and it needs to be able to properly request the download from its new location as it switches around. So if you're using Blueberry and Lipson to host your media, you're fine. You don't have to worry about this at all because even back then, I contacted both Lipson and Blueberry and they confirmed. They said, yes, we do support this. But if you're not using Lipson or Blueberry to host your media, and I do highly suggest you use them, if you want to sign up for Lipson, by the way, you can get a free month with my affiliate code Noodle. When you sign out at checkout, enter that code and you'll get at least a free month of hosting for any plan that they offer. But if you're not using Libsyn or Blueberry, or maybe you're using archive.org and need to test it, or you're using your own web server, which I don't necessarily recommend unless you have something dedicated and you know what your actual limits are. But the way to test this would be go back to websniffer.net, or that's web-sniffer.net. Insert the direct download link to your MP3 file. Don't include any media redirects or anything like that, but just have the direct link to your download file. Now, if you want to test this on Libsyn, the actual direct download link is going to be something crazy looking because uh, it'll be something like ec.libsyn.com slash p slash a number slash a letter slash a number slash lots of letters and numbers slash and then your actual file name and a bunch of other stuff. That's because of the way that Libsyn and Blueberry would be pretty similar. The way that those services work in putting your file up in the cloud and that URL might change. That's the kind of URL you would want, the ultimate final destination URL for your file on that particular day. So you want that to be able to test. Paste that into the websniffer.net URL field. Change the request type option from get to head. Change it to head and then click the submit button. When you do that, you'll see a bunch of information, but one of the things it will respond is it'll or show you is it will show you a section with HTTP response header. The one thing you need to look for is that it says accepts range, accept 
ranges and the value should be bytes. I'll have a screenshot of this in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117 if you want to check out what that would look like. And it might be somewhere near the beginning of your response header or near the end. But look for that. If it says accept ranges bytes, and it can say anything else in there too, as long as it says bytes, then you know your server supports byte range requests. And if you're hosting with Libsyn and Blueberry, then this isn't a problem at all. Now let's think back about the podcast cover art and why is it that you need 1400 by 1400 cover art? The the size had always seemed odd to me. Why 1400 by 1400? This is right around the time that the iPad 3 came out, which introduced the Retina display. And I did purchase an iPad 3 on the day that it was released. And the iPad 3 has a full resolution of 2048 by 1536. That's when you're holding it in landscape or the wide orientation. So I always wondered why 1400 by 1400? Once the number was 1200 by 1200, and that was a logical just doubling of the previous requirement of 600 by 600, but why 1400 by 1400? And then it wasn't until Apple updated the podcast app that it finally made sense at least partially. And that is somewhere around version 1.1 of the podcast app for iOS. They updated the way the podcast cover art would display in the podcast app while it's playing a podcast. Now it displays on a Retina iPad, like an iPad 3 or an iPad 4, probably the upcoming iPads too, any, any, I would say, third through at least fifth generation iPad, full iPad, with the Retina display. The podcast cover art will display at 1400 by 1400 exactly inside the podcast app while it's playing. Now I have a screenshot of this if you'd like to see it over in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117. Now this, this is still kind of odd because if you have an iPad and you're playing a podcast, in the lock screen, so that is when you first turn on your iPad, if a podcast has been playing in the lock screen, the cover art displays in the background, but it displays at the largest possible square size, which is 1536 by 1536. So uh, even though inside the podcast app, it's displaying at 1400 by 1400, still the iPad does have the potential to display at a larger size in that one particular situation. That's when you hold the iPad vertically, you have a podcast playing already, and you're at the lock screen on the iPad. That's when it displays at 1536 by 1536. But the larger image also ensures that your podcast cover art will look beautiful on HD displays, like especially consider the Apple TV, that tiny little $100 device, which is really cool, connected to maybe a 1080p display. But even then, the maximum size that your cover art would display would be 1080 by 1080 pixels at its largest, unless Apple releases some other kind of device or we start moving into 4K TVs and all of that. And then your image, uh, your cover art might be displaying at a larger size. So it's, it is important. The main point is it's very important to have cover art that's at least bigger than 600 by 600, certainly bigger than 300 by 300. Otherwise, if you don't have the larger cover art, your image will look terrible when it's blown up because it's it's like if you've ever used the digital zoom on a camcorder or on a camera 
it just blows up the image. It's just magnifying the pixels. It's not actually zooming in or increasing the size dynamically. It's just blowing it up and not increasing the quality at all. So that's why you want bigger cover art. Now, there are a a few options that you have for your cover art then. If your cover art does not meet the 1400 by 1400 requirements, and that's I'm now mixing recommendations and requirements together into a single word because it's kind of a requirement, but it's mostly just a recommendation from Apple. So if your cover art doesn't meet that, uh, that requirement to be featured, well, you could just ignore it and leave your cover art whatever size it is in iTunes. And it'll be fine. You won't be kicked out of iTunes. It won't look great on these higher resolution devices. And you will never be eligible to be featured by Apple until you have the larger cover art. So assuming that you want to increase the size of your cover art, you now have three options. You can enlarge the image, you can scale or redo the master file, or you can redesign your cover art. Number one, enlarging your image is a way of following the the letter of the law in this. And that is you just simply take your JPEG or ping image into an image editor and whatever size it is, and then blow it up. That, yes, that can give you a 1400 by 1400 image, but it won't enhance the quality of the image. It won't adapt. It won't look very good at that image. Now, some image editors are better than others when they uh, magnify the pixels or enlarge the pixels and enhance the details a little bit, but we're not in Hollywood. This isn't CSI or 24, or any of those movies or TV shows that do the nerd-wrenching thing, yes, I did say nerd-wrenching thing, of saying, oh, enhance that image, blow it up, scale it, zoom in, all of that. No, that does not happen. That is not real. So if you blow up your image, you are not going to get that Hollywood level of quality of image enhancement on your podcast cover art. It's it's going to look a little bit blurry along the edges. Now, some images may look a little bit better than the others. And yes, some image editors do a better job than others, but it's still not going to be the best quality that it could be. But like I said, this is a way for you to follow the letter of the law and simply blow up your cover art. And I'll tell you again uh, in a little bit how to change if you do this option or do any of these options. Your second option is to scale or redo from the master file. This is different than blowing it up because depending on how you've designed your images or your image for your podcast cover art, you may be able to just go back to that master file and scale the image and maintain the detail or then even enhance the detail in your image. This really works uh, primarily on vector format uh, artwork and such. This would be like an AI or an EPS file from Adobe Illustrator or something like that, where it's a vector program where you can zoom, scale, resize it and all of that, and it maintains its sharpness. But also if your cover art is made from a lot of shapes or dynamic gradients, uh, where it's not pixel, it's not like baked or destructively flattened into your image, but it's some kind of deny- dynamic gradient, or if it's editable text, these scale very easily. For example, in Photoshop, um, the Audacity to Podcast image, the cover art, is mostly vector 
Now, it's designed inside of Photoshop, and by vector, I mean shapes, gradients, dynamic stuff that is basically a mathematical calculation that can just be scaled up. So when I redid the Audacity to Podcast cover art for larger size, all I really had to do was go into Photoshop, type in a larger size, it enlarged it, and still maintained the quality and the crispness and the detail because all of the shapes were vector shapes, so they could be scaled and not lose quality at all. The same thing with the fonts, the effects, all of that. The gradients were instead of defining this pixel is this color, this pixel is this color, this pixel is this color, it was a mathematical calculation of saying from this pixel to this pixel, transition from this color to that color. And that's what I mean by a dynamic gradient, a mathematical calculation, basically. So that scaled really well. Some of my other color cover art, I made the mistake of rasterizing the image and turning it into actual baked pixels. So like for Are You Just Watching or The Ramen Noodle, I had to go back and re-render some of those things or redo them, some of the effects. But now I have them in basically vector format, so I can scale them as much as I want to and not lose any quality. But the other side of this is maybe you have a more image-based cover art. So you found that beautiful stock image of something online from maybe iStock Photo or Shutterstock or Flickr or anything like that, and you've got permission and rights to use that file. So you use it in your podcast cover art, and then you decide that your cover art needs to be 1400 by 1400 or scale it up even higher than that. But now this image, because it's raster or bitmapped image, which means it's all pixel-based, because it's pixel-based, it doesn't scale well. So you may need to partially redo the image. So go back to the stock photography company or wherever you got that image and get a higher resolution of it. This may mean paying a few dollars more. You may be able to upgrade the image for a few dollars more or you may have to repurchase the image all over again. Just tell them, hey, I bought this image at this small size. Now I want to redo my uh, project at a larger size. Can I just upgrade my image for a discount or something like that? And then just replace that image inside of your cover art. So it's like you're still redesigning your cover art, but you're just replacing a part of it with a higher resolution image. And when you do that, you're going to see the difference of the quality after you've scaled your image up and then you put the new higher resolution photo back into your cover art. You'll notice a quality difference between that and simply blowing up your image following the letter of the law. So you could scale or redo from the master file like that. Or your third option is to completely redesign your cover art. This is the more nuclear option, but it might be a good option for you to consider because this could be a good time for you to think about completely redoing your podcast branding. You or your designer, and you know I'm available for podcast cover art design. It's one of the services I offer. The price will be going up on that soon, but uh, throughout March, 2013, the price will remain the same at $250 to design cover art. But uh, you or a designer or I can design the cover art to then meet or exceed these new specifications or these really not so new specifications. Now, interestingly, Raw Voice, which is the parent company to Blueberry, has, uh, has seen some research that said that if you if you update your cover art 
in some way, like redesign it, that they often see a 25%, as much as a 25% jump in subscriptions, subscriptions, just by changing your podcast cover art. That's, that's pretty amazing. Well, it can make a lot of sense in certain cases where you might be going from ugly to attractive or from unprofessional looking to professional looking, or it may just be that many people who passed over you before now see your new cover art and they think, Ooh, what's this podcast? I haven't seen this before. So then they subscribe. I've not, I've made a couple changes in the past and yeah, I've seen an increase in subscriptions, but I don't know that was necessarily just because of the podcast cover art. And uh, I am, like I said, available to design podcast cover art for you. I design so that it looks great at 1400 by 1400 as well as small image sizes so that's recognizable. But if you really want to be future-proof, then I can increase that size to whatever you want it to be for an extra fee. And do keep this in mind. If you're working with a different designer and they give you a price on designing an image at 1400 by 1400 and you say to them, hey, you know what? I want my image to be future-proof. Can you make my image at 32,000 by 32,000 pixels instead? Be prepared to pay them more because imagery and a lot of development processes can cost more at larger sizes, especially stock photography, because you might be paying $5 for a stock photo that is 300 by 300, but for a stock photo that's even just 1400 by 1400, it might be 15 or $20 or even more depending on what kind of image you have. So be prepared to pay more. So that's why I say I can design it at a larger image if you want for an extra fee. And for anyone else who's previously gotten my podcast cover art design services, I can upgrade the cover art for a discount then on uh, upgrading that. But now, so you've got your new cover art, whether you've blown it up, you've scaled or redone the master file, or you've completely redesigned your cover art file, your cover art. How do you now get that into your podcast? How do you add that cover art if you're starting out fresh or if you're changing the cover art that you have? There are three places that your podcast cover art needs to be and under different specifications as well. One, you need a 14... A one, sorry, a one forty four by one forty four pixel image in the RSS image tag. That's the RSS two image tag. That's inside the RSS feed. I'll tell you where to put that in a moment. Second place you need your cover is a fourteen hundred by fourteen hundred or larger image in the iTunes image tag inside the RSS feed. Third place you need to put the cover art is. I would say at least a 1600 by six, uh, at least a 600 by 1600 or as high as 1400 by 1400 inside the individual episodes MP3 tags or ID3 tags. So I'll tell you where to put those different images and how to get them in there. The RSS2 image, it's 144 by 144 and that's that's an RSS spec. Now Sometimes you can put in larger images there, but depending on what service you're using and how RSS feeds are handled and such, it may kind of look weird. Like if you use FeedBurner and use their uh, browser-friendly option and you put in there a large RSS2 image, it'll look really bad inside that browser-friendly version. 
And some services other than iTunes will look at the RSS2 image for your podcast cover art. This is a special image that, or a special tag inside your RSS feed that's more than just an image tag. It also includes the URL to your podcast, the web address, that is, the title of your podcast, and then the link to the image file. So I've got this, the technical display here in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117. But if you want to change this or add this to your podcast, here's where you need to go. If you're using PowerPress to create your RSS feed for your podcast, which is what I highly recommend, go to the feed settings tab and scroll down to the RSS image field. This would be in your default feed, in your channel feeds, or in your category feeds. And right there inside of PowerPress, you can either upload your new image right there, or you can just paste in a direct link to wherever your image is hosted. Remember to host your image where they support HTTP head requests. If you're using FeedBurner SmartCast, which I would only recommend if you are not using PowerPress on your site, or if you're using something other than WordPress, then you might want to use FeedBurner SmartCast feature. First, upload your image somewhere, remember, that supports HTTP head requests. Then insert the direct link to that image under the Optimize tab, and then it's Feed Image Burner. You need to activate that and then insert the link to your image. Also, insert that other information, the podcast title and the website address for the podcast. If you're using a Libsyn-powered RSS feed, then click on the little gear icon inside of the Libsyn interface. That's the edit show settings um, feature. And then over on the lower right side currently, there's a spot where you can upload your 1400 by 1400 image to the artwork field. Now, this is going to be one image that they're going to use in both the RSS2 image tag and the iTunes image tag. So if you're using Libsyn to power your feed, You only have to insert your image in one place, but it's just going to repeat that image for both of those tags. So that's how you get the RSS2 image tag listed. Now let's look at the iTunes image tag, which is the most important for being in the iTunes directory. And this is where you want your 1400 by 1400 or larger image. It has to be there. Some other podcast directories even read from this image tag so that they get the higher resolution image. Our friend Rob Greenley that uh, has that works with the Zoom Marketplace and helps you get your podcast listed there has said that the way that they pull the podcast information is actually checking the iTunes tags and some other podcast apps will do this too. So you have to make sure, even if you don't want your podcast in iTunes, which I think if you're doing that, then that's just crazy, really. I, I'm not sorry if that insults you. Have your podcast in iTunes. If it's not on iTunes, then you're missing out on uh, at least double what your audience is now. But this is a specialized tag that works in a certain way, and I have that displayed in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117. But you can add this in different places, and again, this depends on what is actually creating your podcast feed. If you're using PowerPress to create your podcast feed, which again, this is what I recommend, the iTunes image field is under the iTunes settings tab in either your default feed, your channel feed, or your category feeds. You can, right on this page, you can upload your new image 
through the interface, or you can just insert a link to wherever your image is hosted. Again, make sure it's on a place that supports HTTP head requests. If you're using FeedBurner's SmartCast feature, and again, I only recommend this if you're using PowerPress, first upload your image somewhere, then insert the direct link to your image under the Optimize tab and under SmartCast. This is only if you're using FeedBurner to create your iTunes podcast information in your feed, which I don't recommend unless you absolutely have to do it. If you're using a Lipson-powered RSS feed, just like I said for the RSS2 image tag, click on the gear icon, which is edit your show settings, upload your 1400 by 1400 image to the artwork area, and but and then you're done. But you may have already done this for your RSS2 image, but now you're doing it. Or, or So if you have, then it's okay for your iTunes image. If you haven't yet, then do the same thing. And that will handle your iTunes image. Then the third place you need your podcast cover art to be is in your ID3 tags. Many podcasters forget about this option. But this is very important because this is how many media players, apps, and uh, different methods of playing your podcast file will display the cover art. Now, currently, as of the beginning of March 2013, the official podcast app from Apple for iOS displays your your feed level podcast cover art not your individual podcast cover art but if you use a different app then it most likely displays the individual id3 tag podcast cover and so that's pulling it from your id3 tags now i talked about how to edit id3 tags back in episode 52 so if you want to review that go back to the audacity to podcast.com slash 52 but it's pretty easy to add these ID3 tags. If you have iTunes on your computer, you could add your cover art right there in iTunes just by bringing your MP3 file into iTunes, choosing to edit or view the properties or get the info on that file, and you can drag your cover art into there. But I recommend that if you're on Windows, get the free program called MP3 Tag, or if you're on OS X, get the $15 program called ID3 Editor that also works on Windows as well. And this will add your ID3 tags in the way that's most compatible, especially your cover art, to make sure that your cover art displays in Windows Media Player. And I, I'm really not sure where Windows 8 is in terms of compatibility with displaying cover art that was loaded through iTunes and such. But previous versions of Windows did not display the cover art properly if you put it in through iTunes or the Zune software or Zune devices. That may have changed recently, but uh, make sure that you add it essentially in the most compatible way. And you can go back to episode 52 to learn more information about that. Now, you could go back and update your older MP3 files if you want but you don't have to. It's okay if you don't update them, but just make sure your new ones from now on have the correct ID3 tags. So again, those three places you want to put your cover art are your RSS2 image holding a 144 by 144 sized image, your iTunes image holding your 1400 by 1400 image, and your ID3 tags. And I'd say for your ID3 tags, have a 600 by 600 or larger image. The reason you might want to consider letting it be smaller is some devices actually limit how much information can be in the ID3 tags and they won't play your podcast like the Roku won't play your podcast if the ID3 tags exceed 
256 kilobytes. So get your podcast cover image, at least for your ID3 tags, smaller than 200 kilobytes in order to have extra space for everything else. So once you've added your cover art to the right place, how long does it take? Well, it takes longer than you want it to, meaning you probably want it to change instantly, don't you? Well, it takes longer than that. iTunes and other podcast directories will typically take anywhere from 8 to 48 hours to update your listing in their podcast directory. iTunes especially is like that. Many people will say, oh, I uploaded a new podcast file to iTunes or I've got a new podcast in my feed, but it's not displaying inside of iTunes yet. Well, that's because the iTunes store takes a little bit longer to update because they have to refresh their cache. They have to check your feed, all of this stuff. It's the same thing with it if you change anything about your feed, new cover art, title change, description change, new episodes, anything like that. It could take 8 to 48 hours or anything even beyond or below that to actually update in the store. If it takes longer than that, or if it's been longer than that and you don't see anything, you may want to contact that directory and ask them to manually refresh your cover art. But if you've updated the cover art on your MP3s, then that new cover art will display right away on any apps that use the ID3 information to display your cover art. Now, I've described a lot of steps here and a lot of information about how you can do this, where to go for this, where to go for that, and did some things that I described to you in audio format. Make sure that you go to the show notes at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 117 to watch the video on this. The video will also be in my YouTube feed, which you can subscribe to me on YouTube over at youtube.com slash noodlemx. Or if you are subscribed to the podcast, uh, the Audacity to Podcast video feed in iTunes, then you'll also receive this video automatically. So you can subscribe to that. And by the way, while you're there, please leave some ratings and reviews. It's a little bit of a ghost town there as far as ratings and reviews, but you can go to the video edition in iTunes at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash iTunes video, and then you'll get the video episodes that I release automatically. And the video will be presented completely different from what I just presented to you. I'm not recording video. This is, I'm giving you a behind the scenes look right now. I'm not recording video while I'm doing this. I am live streaming because I do the podcast live every Monday at 2 p.m., or around 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, that's GMT minus four, over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash live. But after I finish recording this audio version, then I'm going to go back and record a video edition that shows you how to do these things, how to add the ID3 tags, how to change your RSS feed in these different places, depending on what you use. So it will be a much shorter video than this audio episode, but it will show you how to do this. So if you're already subscribed to the video or you're subscribed to me on YouTube, then you'll see this video pop up automatically. If not, go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 117 and you'll be able to watch the embedded video right there and see how to do this stuff. Or if you need help 
then I'm also available to help you with this. I can either do it for you or I can redesign your cover art for you or upgrade your cover art or maybe you want some one-on-one consulting time. Please go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash consulting if you want to check out how to hire me for one-on-one consulting. This is a page I just added to my website recently and I'd love to work with you to help you succeed with your podcast. And you can also comment on the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117. Now, just this last weekend, uh, March 9th, 2013, I did my first Learn Audacity webinar, and it was a lot of fun. And I had a handful of participants, and that's okay because it was the first time that I did this live like this, but it was a lot of fun. And I will be doing another of these. I'm looking at the date of May 4th, Saturday, May 4th at noon Eastern Daylight Time, GMT minus four, to do the next Learn Audacity workshop. Now, one thing that I did learn myself from this is that an hour is not enough time to squeeze in what you need to know. So instead of saying that the workshop will be about 90 minutes, including Q&A, this time I'm saying the workshop will be two hours, including Q&A. And even if you don't make it to the workshop, you can still register and then receive a download of the workshop. Just like in my workshop this last weekend, one of the participants did not show up for the workshop, but that's okay. I'm still going to email him a file of the workshop so he'll be able to watch it and get all that same content just as if he was there so he can see what I'm demonstrating on my screen and learn just like everybody else did from start from installing Audacity to uh, managing plugins to using plugins to editing audio to exporting files and all of this stuff and special tips in between and how to use this and that and how to do all of these things in Audacity it's it's really thorough, and I will eventually be turning this into a digital product that you'll be able to purchase at any time and watch at your convenience. But now, for now, the next Audacity workshop is scheduled for May 4th, 2013 at noon Eastern Daylight Time. That's GMT minus four. You can go to learnaudacity.com to learn more about the workshop, and you'll be able to sign up there as well once I update the ticketing information on that site. So check out the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 117. And you can respond to the content that I shared in this episode by commenting on the show notes there, or send me your questions and feedback that you'd like me to cover for future episodes. You can email written or recorded feedback, especially video feedback, to the audacity, uh, feedback at theaudacitypodcast.com or call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221, or you can go to theaudacitypodcast.com and click on the send a voice message link over on the sidebar or on your iOS or mobile device to record a message right there and send it directly to me. I'd love to work with you to help you podcast more successfully as I've been helping many other people do. Check out my consulting page at theaudacitypodcast.com slash consulting. And by the way, the Audio-Technica ATR2100 USB and XLR mic is on an amazing sale right now. It's about $36. Check it out. I'll have a link at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ATR2100. That's the ATR2100 mic. Fantastic mic. And it's at a great sale. Now that I've given you some of the guts 
and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. Please follow me on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and leave ratings and reviews at theaudacitypodcast.com slash iTunes. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. Thank you so much for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Like learn how to be productive from beyond the to-do list. Get some theories and behind-the-scenes stuff about Once Upon a Time from One's podcast. Laugh with our clean comedy podcast, The Ramen Noodle. Get some Christian critical thinking to movies from Are You Just Watching. Get a perspective, a Christian perspective on worldview and politics from Christian Meets World. And more to come. All at noodle.mx. The Audacity Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcast.com where you can get podcasts ranging in all flavors, shapes, and sizes, video and audio about technology, from podcasts that focus on technology for homeschoolers, to video production, to to tech news, to medical tech news, to all of this stuff about tech. Check it out. It's awesome, and it's all family-friendly, which I really appreciate. So check it out at techpodcasts.com.